How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend, Frank Madden. Frank, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, but I feel like uh, we we have some... Our, our topics tonight, I feel like, are uh, especially one of them may not age well. And, and so I feel like we got to... I, I, like, I know we're, we're not going to record multiple versions and then release the one that makes the most sense, <laughs> but... Um, I feel like, in a, uh, shockingly, I'm talking about the Bucks GM search, ongoing GM search, but um, but I feel like we should avoid talking too long about it tonight because by the time we finish recording this here on Tuesday night, uh, who knows? Mark signed me up, broken some new news that uh, that may invalidate all of it. Yeah, so I, I guess the I don't even know how to attack it really. Um, so the Bucks GM position remains. Uh, there remains what? Seven days, no, eight days to the draft. Let's see, 22nd? Yeah, so eight days until the draft. Um, the position has still not been filled. Uh, last time we chatted with you, uh, we talked about how it was down to three candidates. We we broke down some of my reporting a little bit, and uh, there was a report from Gary Wolfel that Wes Wilcox had been tabbed as the front runner and... Uh, that has been contradicted by Mark Stein's report uh, that the Bucks ha- have narrowed it down to Karnas Silvis and to the incumbent Justin Zanuck. Um, I don't necessarily know that I'm surprised by it. Um, no, not at all. Like, uh, my, any of the stuff I reported would have suggested that that was kind of uh, the obvious final two. And I guess we're kind of at a point where... Again, I think last time I mentioned why is this still going on, and I think that would, I would still echo that sentiment, and I would also echo the sentiment of when, like, why has this not been done already? Like, just, just get it done, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's like you know you've been going through the process here, Justin Zanuck, the rest of sort of the the front office that you know obviously is been carried over from the John Hammond era here. Um, they've done all the legwork, right? So, I mean, nobody's going to come in and replicate that or, or it would be very difficult to come in and just sort of change course at this point. Obviously, it's sort of the, the research has been done. Obviously, somebody has to sort of get you to a consensus and, and make the pick. Um, but at, at this point, you know, you could make a say on the one hand, well, you know, the guys you've got are the ones who effectively are going to make this pick. Might as well, they might as well be the ones to do it. On the flip side, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to do something other than hire Justin Zanuck as the general manager, I, I get it over with. I mean, you know, like what, I don't know what you'd be waiting for at this point, unless, you know, we really haven't heard that much about the, the sort of the David Griffin option, the, the Cavs general manager, who at a minimum was not going to be available while the Cavs were in the playoffs. Um, but as we discussed the other night, I mean, he's under contract at the end of the month. So, um, there's also no, you know, reason they would have to let him, um, interview before then. So, uh, latest out of Cleveland tonight was that Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavs is going to meet with general manager, uh, quote unquote, in the next few days to determine his future with the franchise. Um, you know, there was some talk about, uh, him being offered a, a nice raise, um, so I know we'll see. I guess right. I mean, are the Bucks? You know, we haven't really heard any other indications reported that the Bucks are like waiting out to see what happens with the David Griffin. But I mean, at this point, who knows what what might happen next? Um, we could have you know a, an answer on Wednesday when people have already heard this, <laughs> or yeah. uh, or we could sit around and wait longer and twist in the wind. And you know, as we said, Justin Zanuck is leading the front office until further notice 
Billy McKinney, Dave Babcock, the rest of the crew will support that. And, um, you know, until we hear otherwise, those are the guys who are going to be making the decision on draft night. And, um, you know, not that long after that, nine days later, uh, you get into uh, the start of free agency. So certainly if you were going to do something, if you're going to change course, um, there's no time like the present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking to Billy McKinney a little bit today after uh, the Bucks had a workout with Texas Senator Jared Allen, uh, we obviously asked some questions about that, about how this is kind of gone without a GM, how, how they've handled it. And for the most part, Billy McKinney said, well, you know, it's, it's business as usual. We know this time of year, the things that we have to do, we know that we have to schedule workouts and we know that we have to go to the agency days and the pro days and, and do those things. He's like, so most of that has been pretty much the exact same in that we just kind of go about our business. And he said, it's, it's business as usual for pretty much all of us that, that we're doing this. Uh, the only thing is that we don't, have the the general manager uh in place but he's like justin has has served as that person he's the one that's gotten us organized and he's the one that's that's kind of setting these things up and making sure that we're hitting all these boxes that we need to hit so um for the most part that seemed pretty much like you would expect billy mckinney to say the I think maybe the more the most interesting thing was uh, JP Cadoran from Spectrum Sports asked, "Well, is is this a big deal if you if you go into the draft without a general manager?" And Billy w- was very kind of careful to say uh, to kind of answer that question, but it, it essentially it was, "Well, it could be, it could potentially be a big deal, um, but at the same time." We've gone through this with with Justin thus far, and obviously he's done a great job there. So no reason to think he wouldn't continue to do uh, a great job. But it could potentially be a big deal, and yeah, it could potentially be a big deal. <laughs> you need a general manager to run you through these things, and um, I know you talked to some people on Twitter about it today, and I know I've talked to a bunch of people on Twitter about it. But it, it just again not that. Um, they couldn't go in different directions, but man, it just seems the closer you get to this date, the less likely it feels like someone different could be chosen as the as the general manager other than Zanuck. And then I guess part of it is, okay, well, you, you let Zanuck go through the draft and then you pick someone else, but you have free agency in nine days after the draft. So there, to me, there's just not a timeline that makes a lot of sense to pick someone other than Justin Zanuck, because if you pick someone other than Justin Zanuck, he's going to have eight days to the draft. And if you go through the draft and don't pick Justin Zanuck yet, and then after that you decide, well, then there's nine days to free agency, and then you're in the middle of free agency. So unless you're going to wait to pick a whole new staff in the start of August, like I, there's just not a timeline that makes sense to me anymore that doesn't include Justin Zanuck becoming the next general manager. Yeah, it's, I mean, the whole John Hammond situation, I mean, it's like, you know, if you don't really want to be dating someone and you just like kind of just let the relationship die until they they leave of their own volition, that's not really a great way to manage a relationship, not really a great way to manage uh, a GM position or, or any position yeah. um, in in any uh, walk of, of life, whether it's basketball or otherwise. And um, yeah, I mean, losing your GM um, in late May and 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 uh, you know and regardless right i mean john again john hammond is not like the only guy who who matters to this process i mean the the legwork is done by many people and you know the rest of those people are all still in place right now um but it's it's obviously a distraction it's a distraction for all these guys and you know just like big questions you know what what happens if you know a team comes calling and says i've got a second round pick and i'm willing to absorb john henson's deal what do you want to do right um I mean, I guess then you're having to go to ownership and saying, can we do this? You know, can we do this? You know, it, it's just not a, and, and obviously whatever. I mean, the, ultimately these are people and, and it's, and it's just harder to do your job when you're trying to figure out, you know, when you're reading Twitter, trying to figure out who the guy running the organization is going to be. Yeah. Um, and so it's tough. I mean, there's, there's obviously a big human element to this and, um, you know, again, they're professionals, but uh, by the same token, it's gotta be frustrating to, feel like well you know 
here we are, we're, we're trying to do this and, you know, we don't know if somebody else is going to come in and do who knows what, bring in their own people, whatever it might be. So yeah, it's tough. We'll see. We'll see what happens. That's all, all we can do. We'll see if it's Justin Zanuck or Arturis Karnasovas. We'll see if some other names come flying in at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we just have to hope that something gets decided as soon as possible. Because certainly, waiting uh, patience is. I, I don't know if I don't know if patience is necessarily a virtue um, in the time <laughs> of year for a team that is no is aiming so. is aiming to make big moves. Uh, you know, heading into next season as far as um, making the next step in their evolution and. You know, granted, we talk a lot about how the Bucks don't have a lot of cap space, and they don't have, you know, they're not, they don't have the first overall pick, et cetera, et cetera. But every every decision matters, and yeah. um, I think I know. I think if we transition into what we saw in the NBA Finals, the bar right now is so high, <laughs> and I think that's true in both the East and the West, especially in the West. <laughs> but even in the East, um, you know, say we will about the Cavs and their regular season performance, but. With LeBron there, with Love there, with Kyrie there, um, you know a lot of those bench guys didn't look good, obviously in the in finals. But I mean that supporting cast, I think, can still get it done. They obviously had no problems in the playoffs, and they still have the best player in the world. Um, the bar is very high, and every move, if you're a team like the Bucks, I mean to me that's a big takeaway from this playoffs here, from these from these finals. If you're a team like the Bucks who has sort of longer term ambitions, well, first off, good news. If you had shorter term ambitions, you may want to punt those probably (laughs) probably not gonna go very far um but if you if even if you're a team that can think really long term which is a better place to be right now than than to be worrying about you know the next year or two but given how good the warriors look and and to some extent the Cavs as well um your margin for error is not is not high you you can't you know i mean i don't want to say like this next draft pick is going to determine whether or not you can you know compete for a title or something like that Uh, that's not true but if you don't get a player from this from the 17th overall pick or you know hey if you get somebody in the second round like another Malcolm Brogdon then obviously then maybe you can afford to stutter a bit in the first round but but if you miss out on draft in drafts um as we've seen the bucks you know 2 years ago you get the 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 the, the challenge gets steeper and um certainly what we're seeing in the playoffs we saw that that there are two teams that that are going to make it extremely difficult for the foreseeable future and a team like the bucks i mean we've seen them make mistakes the last few years and and i don't know i, I think with Giannis entering his prime pressure is on they, they have to make good decisions they have to build around him intelligently and um as of now we, we still don't have certainty around who that person is that's going to be leading that effort yeah one thing i've been thinking about recently is that those two teams are terrifying just absolutely terrifying and i think one thing that maybe gets undersold is the fact that the the cavaliers dominated the eastern conference like it it, it wasn't close like it, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about two teams potentially going through their first three rounds perfect like that that was a couple weeks ago like that that wasn't that long ago so for me I, I guess a lot of the focus is on the warriors but the Cavs are also really freaking good. So, obviously, you, you have to worry about both those teams, but those two teams are just on a different planet at this point. And I guess one thing I've sort of become fascinated with is that now the the focus has really become on, oh, you, you can't screw up these other things. you got to really do well on the margins. And like, I get why it's happening, but shit, like, this is what it's always been, right? Like, don't make stupid decisions. Like, we've known trading away draft picks is dumb for ever, ever. Or you know what I mean? Like, this, this is the the way these teams have been built. Like, aren't some sort of new revelations? Like, don't trade away draft picks because cheap assets are insanely valuable, and I keep your cap flexible. Like it. Are these shocking things? That's kind of the thing that's been fascinating to me in the last couple weeks. It's like, oh, man, you really got to hit. Because if you see how the Warriors built it, yeah, the Warriors built it great. Like, they they built through the draft and then happened to have the most awesome break of luck in the cap spike happen 
in a year that they needed another guy to go over the top. And well, the second best player on the planet happened to be a free agent and they could add that person. But like all these things about smart management, like, well, were we thinking dumb management could get it done before? Like this is, I I don't know that that's something I was just kind of thinking about in the last couple of days is that this has become such a, a big focus for people. But in my mind, like, None of the things we're learning are are that revelatory. Or, or I was gonna say, or you just get LeBron, and then you can you know trade picks for Cal Corver <laughs> yeah. and do things like that because you got to keep LeBron happy, right? Yeah. So um, there there are always exceptions when you've got when you get to that point, um, and then you can get you know guys to sign off you know buyouts and things like that. But but certainly, I mean, the Warriors are an example, as you mentioned. You know the the number of guys that they got not not just this year, right? I mean, even previous years. Um, you know, you look at that draft where they got Harrison Barnes, Fessis Azili, and Draymond Green. You know, Barnes and, and Azili are gone, but obviously those guys were very useful players when they were cheap on yeah. those rookie deals. And, you know, they were able to be a 73-win team with those guys, even without <laughs> Kevin Durant. And um, Draymond's obviously turned into one of the league's, you know, best um, all-around players. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, t- I totally agree. Like, I mean, stuff on the margins matters. I, I feel like... I mean, I don't know. You can obviously look kind of two different ways. Like you can, and I know we've talked about this, like on the one hand, nothing Matt, you can take sort of the nihilist, like without, without a superstar sort of like nothing matters. <laughs> Correct. And, and that's kind of true. You know, I mean, if you don't have your Giannis or your, you know, pick Durant or whoever, it, it doesn't matter if you guy. miss on your second rounder, if your team sucks. Like Right. But, but it but it, but on the flip side, it matters it even matter. more it, because because everything is magnified because you Correct. literally have no way you know of of uh, you, you have to find that lightning in a bottle somehow. So um, so I think that you know the argument I guess I guess if you're trying to be as competitive as possible, everything matters. And the only difference is the degree to which you can be competitive. If you don't have your superstar, then everything on the margin matters because you want to be a 45-win team or whatever yeah. you know whatever you're aspiring to. And we can argue like oh it's, that's not worth aspiring to blah blah blah. <laughs> but I mean you know, fine. Like you're not trying, you're not trying to pick bad players. Okay. I mean, there's, Correct. there's arguments for tanking and things like that, but you're still trying to, to win on every marginal move. And maybe some of those are more rebuildish if, uh, depending on where you are, but, um, but yeah. And then when you're on, you know, when you're in the, the stratosphere of the warriors and calves and obviously the moves are kind of different, but everything on the margin still matters, right? Because that might be the guy who, you know, when LeBron goes to the bench, the guy that you pick up <laughs> to, to play the two minutes, can you not get outscored by a million points with LeBron on the bench, right? I mean, that, that stuff matters. So, yeah, um, so yeah it, it's kind of it's kind of to say, but I, I, I will say this. I, it, it's it's so interesting because I feel like the 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 finals have led to so much. I don't even know if it's just like hot takes so much as just people have really strong just opinions and and they're they're the, to me this has been more about like opinions and super subjective stuff like and i realize like there's always subjective stuff in sports but it's a lot more about like whether how do you feel about kevin durant leaving the, the thunder to go to the warriors you know you want, you want to talk this out i'm i'm well, i'm genuinely curious how you feel about all this well i that's the thing i don't like it, it to me it's just like your feelings right and, yeah we were in on Twitter. We were, I mean, I think we were both involved in this like day long <laughs> back and forth. And it's like, you know, I kind of was wanted to joke at the end. It's like, well, I guess we figured it out, guys. Cause, you know, nobody's going to change your mind, right? Like, no. if you think Durant took the easy way out and you don't find it satisfying and you think the league's not as competitive now as it would have been if Durant had stayed in Oklahoma City, you're right. And you can, you know, and, and part of it's just your feelings and, you know, you're not obligated to like Kevin Durant on the Warriors. On the flip side, if you think that that led to maybe the greatest team in history and there's something kind of cool about that. And, you know, the finals we just saw between the Warriors and Cavs were incredible. And maybe the Warriors needed to sign Kevin Durant in order to beat the Cavs, which mm-hmm. I didn't really think about that much until the last maybe 24, 48 hours. Um, I think that's also, there's tons of validity and, and everyone is free to, to view that. Right. And ultimately yeah. it's just about like, what do you, what do you want to see in, in basketball? And I think, there's like broadly stuff that I think most people would agree on. Like we want to see more parity than what we saw in this, in this playoffs, right? We, we want yeah. to see, we want to see both, you know, we want to see more than two teams have some reasonable chance at, at winning a championship. Um, but you know, whatever, I mean, the NBA is always, has always been less 
has had has always had less parity just because of the structure of the sport. You have five guys on the court at a time. Superstars are just way more important than you know a baseball player who pitches one out of five days or plays one position and bats four times, right? I mean, it's just yeah. a different type of of sport, and so it's always going to be, I think, more predictable and get more predictable outcomes. And that's just that's just the reality, you know. I mean, if you mm-hmm. don't like that, then watch the NCAA tournament because it's one off games. But Correct. um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I. I I just honestly, there, there, the thing that why I'm not like broken up about the playoffs, the finals, um, is because there were a lot of moments where I was watching these games and I kind of felt myself going back and forth as to who I was rooting for because a lot of times I just wanted the games to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know how many times I just like sat there and I just like you know said to my wife out loud like these teams are just incredible. Like I can't, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm like I just I'm, had that reaction, just aw. laughing, just yeah. cackling. Like come on. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's not like I, I'm to people listening. I you don't have to th- use that as justification to think that the NBA is perfect and the finals were great and blah blah blah. But and I totally get it. You know, like if you wanted seven games and you wanted, you know, teams that could have lost in the first round to have fought and scrapped and had more competitiveness, that's that's totally fine, right? I mean, that's that's more engaging, competitive, right? To to see it that way. But um, but I think you kind of take it for what it is. And and honestly, I don't know. I mean, I view this sort of. I think a lot of people also sort of view it from like, oh crap, no one else can win a championship the next few years. Um, <laughs> when they look at the Warriors, and I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because I'm a Bucks fan, and I've never viewed even in 2001. I never thought my team would actually win a championship or even had a chance <laughs> at a championship. So I don't even like. I'm not like clearly as if you're a Bucks fan, you're enjoyment of the nba is not predicated on your team being competitive for championships correct i wish i hope that changes but um but i, I don't know like i'm not i don't feel like threatened like oh crap what's the point of rooting for the bucks not now? at all you know? and in a lot of ways i think the bucks are kind of lucky because as fans we have a, obviously a younger team with a, a super young superstar that we're building around so if any team's timeline if any team has like a talent base that's like reasonably high enough that you can kind of plot out a way to be potentially competitive for for a title or an eastern conference or whatever it is um down the road but at the same time like you know it's they have enough but they're also young enough that it's not like oh crap we're never gonna outlast the, the, we're not gonna that warriors are, are gonna just be good for too long and the window will close yeah um i mean the bucks window will not is not open in perpetuity uh, they you know as we say they always need to like reef restock those young guys on good contracts because that's what every team needs to do but um but they obviously have have a a unique roster in a lot of ways that you know still needs to be improved but but they at least have some some raw materials and and that kind of makes them i think i don't know i feel like i'm more i feel more immune to sort of some of the the nihilism going around about the uh the warriors being so good that like nothing matters um so maybe that's also partly why i was able to kind of sit back and just sort of marvel at just and not just the warriors but i mean i mean watching durant curry Kyrie and obviously LeBron in the series at times at their best. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that is, I mean, that's pretty cool as a basketball fan. It was just amazing to see guys rising to the occasion. I mean, Durant in games in game five, I mean, yeah, as good as he was to, to take it to that even higher level. Um, you know, we can argue about Durant and his decision, blah, 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 all you want, but literally there was nothing Durant could have done more (laughs) to deserve that championship than what he showed in this finals and he was incredible and you know uh, whatever i get some people don't like kevin durant anymore but um i was happy for him you know he's i I like seeing great players kind of take their rightful place if you will and and maybe it's just because i hate like when people just pick pick these guys apart um so yeah i mean the warriors they seem like good dudes for the most part and zaza who's the guy that they always call the dirtiest is like for me as a Bucks fan, like also super lovable. Um, <laughs> say what you will about his, his uh, on court stuff. His um, tactics. I, yeah. I was happy for him. Aaron Rodgers, I bet is happy for him. He yeah. got the photo with Zaza last night. So anyway, that's, that's my, that's my long diatribe. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I, I have a lot of different thoughts. Uh, first one was reading Lee Jenkins piece after, uh, he, he wrote like a Kevin Durant as a champion kind of piece and how it all came together. And I thought it was cool. And again, like this is, I don't even know, the second or third year of the Kevin Durant, Giannis, Atetokounmpo love fest. But in his piece, he mentioned that how he remembers 
five years ago being the Giannis Adetokounmpo looking up to LeBron and trying to figure out how he could aspire to be that person. And so like he was drawing the kind of the analogy that as Kevin Durant was to LeBron James, Giannis Adetokounmpo is to Kevin Durant. And it was just like, Oh, okay. Like that's kind of cool. Like just me at 1130 last night reading Lee Jenkins article and then thinking like, whoa, I was not expecting to see a Bucks reference and there's a Giannis reference right there. And I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying where you're saying, okay, you, you can't feel like the window is closed because you have this special talent and because that person is going to mean so much to this franchise going forward and he's so well-respected already and he's still so young and there's still so much there. So I, I think, one, that was just kind of cool and exciting to me that 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 moment and that that quote exists um so so i thought that was kind of cool and then i guess for me one of the things i've always thought about with this nihilism as we look at the warriors kind of just owning the world and everything i i've derived meaning from basketball with so little reference to championships in cheering for a winner and really really caring about who wins these things that like at this point like i'm totally fine like if the warriors are really great okay maybe that just means i don't watch the warriors as much that's great like that's totally fine they can be awesome and then when the playoffs come around i'll watch them a bunch and be like oh yeah all these dudes are really good at basketball and i remember why i enjoyed watching all of them play basketball but for me like it's never been about the best teams in the league. Like I've watched the bucks and cheered for the bucks for my entire life. Like that's never been the conversation that they've never been the best team in the league. Uh, Aside from maybe Oh one, they were in the conversation for it. Like that's, that's never been a conversation I've had. So why would all of a sudden, why would I need to derive my meaning of the game of basketball from the best team in the league? That, that That's just not something that that's ever existed for me. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of the same way where I, I understand why some people might feel that way, but uh, that's just never how I've, I've gotten down to the game of basketball. So that's not really a big deal to me. And with the Durant stuff, I'm, I mentioned it to a couple people on Twitter last night. If you want to, if you want to take down the team, if you want to say that the Warriors combined for too much talent and they they weren't enjoyable as a team and you want to judge them as a collective whole, I'm okay with that because I, I've gotten an argue, uh, plenty of arguments about it that I didn't enjoy this Warriors team as much as the last Warriors team because I didn't feel like this team really struggled. Like, to me, there's beauty in the struggle of trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get to the ultimate goal? And Matt Moore summed it up pretty good last night where he said, the Warriors ultimately made something that has historically been extremely difficult look extremely easy. And they're, right there, there's some cognitive dissonance. Like, in your head, you're thinking, those two things do not align. Like, they just made this look very easy. And the entire history of basketball tells me that winning an NBA championship is very hard. So I can understand why there's some disconnect. And there is some disconnect for me on the team level. But to take anything away from Kevin Durant is insane. He averaged 35 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, a block and a half on 55, 45, 95, or somewhere around there. Like, you can't take anything away from that dude. He was... He was incredible that entire series. So if you want to take away from the team from putting too much talent on the team that maybe it didn't matter that Clay Thompson didn't play as well or that Steph Curry had some bad games, like if you want to argue that, that's fine with me. But if you you can't take anything away from Kevin Durant in that series because he was awesome. Like As awesome as LeBron was in that series, Durant was right there with him. So um, I, I, don't, I don't understand that idea, like taking that away from Durant. Um, and then finally, the last thing I, I've just been kind of fascinated with uh, throughout this day, and like you said, we, we were in a monster conversation. I don't even know how many people were in that thing on Twitter. I do know that my phone died way earlier than it normally does in the day, though, because I just had a million notifications and it just kept going and going and going. And I think the, the thing that fascinates me most is that 
a lot of it was remarkably civil that was nice (laughs) no i totally agree like there was never a point where uh anyone was doing any name calling or telling someone they're an idiot or anything like that like it it was totally civil which is great and i mean i think that's the ideal use of twitter like you can actually have conversations like that but the thing that i kept kind of i keep circling back to in this conversation is that there there's a lot of people that'll say okay well to me, to me, we keep talking about hashtag rings, R-I-N-G-Z. Like, that is the conversation. Like, you have to have rings or you don't get to be a part of this conversation. You don't get to be a great player if you don't have rings. And then people will tell me, well, no, like, how you win the ring matters. And I think that's bullshit. Like, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a time where we've actually talked about, like, oh, how did they win that ring? No, you mentioned... LeBron's finals record and you say well he didn't get it done and he's not clutch whatever it is and you move on and if it's if it's Durant well he couldn't get a ring on his own like he had to do this like there, there's nothing like it, it's got to be about it's about rings having rings that's what matters winning and doing those things like I think there's a lot of context that people want to put into it and the argument that keeps getting thrown out there is like well, it means more if you do it on your own and there's there's more pride if you stay with your team and battle against these other teams and eventually get over uh, the top of the mountain and get to the mountaintop and win. And I, like, I just don't see it. Like, I, I would like to see us treat players that do that a lot more respectfully. If that's actually how we feel, well, then let's not kill Kevin Durant for not winning a ring like let's applaud him and someone said well uh i think it was our our friend elijah price he had said well there's plenty of guys that certain fan bases love because they're their guy and they stay with them the whole time and they don't care that they didn't win rings which i totally agree with but in the legacy argument that that thing doesn't exist like we we don't glorify guys for trying real hard we just say well they never got it done and that that's just like a black mark against them so um i don't know it's it's all very interesting and i think you can talk all of these in circles and around and around and around and i think that's why they're such interesting topics and uh we've seen so much conversation about it um but for me i I don't know there there's a lot of i think there's a lot of really interesting stuff and a lot of it has to do kind of about it all has to do with your perceptions as a basketball fan and how you consume the game of basketball and like what matters to you. And, um, and I think that kind of shapes like whether you're a nihilist about this or you're still able to glean some sort of meaning from everything that's going on. So I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think fans want every superstar to like be Dirk and, you know, be able to win a championship being the clear number one guy and, and doing yeah. it. And I think people look back on him now. It's, it's almost like the legend of Dirk is like, Oh, he didn't have like, he had nobody on that team, you know? And obviously that's not true. He had a bunch <laughs> of very good players, but he didn't have kind of your typical second, you know, superstar type guy For sure. with him. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting. It's, you know, it's interesting counterfactual wonder like what if Dirk had left in 2012 and, you know, joined, joined some other, you know, joined the heat or whatever, whatever the, yeah. the team might be. And then, and then won a couple more titles. Um, you know, how would he be perceived sort of in, in, from like a legacy standpoint? Um, and, and is, is he allowed to go and, and go, you know, ring chase or whatever? Yeah. Um, because he won one on his own. And I think LeBron, it, it's kind of weird winning, you know, winning in, in Cleveland. I think in a lot of ways, you know, that, that was obviously probably the most important thing LeBron's ever done. Right. Cause it yeah. sort of redeemed him on multiple levels. And even though you could make the case that, um, I don't know if I buy this, but you could make the case that, you know, well, Kyrie and, and love and the sporting cast in Cleveland is as good or better as the one he had in Miami. I don't, I don't actually buy that. I think, you know, Wade at, at sort of at the front end of that and Bosch at the front end of that were better than, than Same. either Bosch or, or Kyrie, especially from a two way perspective. But, um, but, uh, you know, that, that kind of redeemed him in a way. Cause it felt like, oh, that's, that's only LeBron's championship, <laughs> whatever it might be. And he, yeah. and he gave the, those poor people in Cleveland some, uh, a championship, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it is interesting. And, and, and as you said, I mean, it, it does sort of create this paradox of, you know, if a guy, because because we're in an arms race now is really what what it yes. is right yes. and um the the best teams have 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 multiple superstars or you know 
two, three, four all-stars, whatever it might be. Um, so the incentive to be the one guy who tries to go fight the good fight, and I realize Durant with Westbrook wouldn't have been fighting it alone. Um, but but it, like seems, now, like having two, like having two people is still right. like compared to the Warriors who have four, or even last year who had three. Right, and obviously the argument is, well, you know, Durant, you know, Durant with Westbrook, we know that they can be competitive with the the previous Warrior iteration because they they nearly they arguably should have beaten them. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's 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 just a difficult thing, right? Because we we you know look down on the guy who who can't win, and then if he goes and 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 you know. <laughs> joins the team that that beat him and i think i think there were unique circumstances around that which is why people feel more emotional about that because it was the team that beat him and they blew that lead and it did feel like they could have beaten golden state or maybe should have beaten golden state and and i was rooting for that thunder team um so you know th- there was obviously a lot of frustration there and i have some good friends who are from oklahoma who did not have a great summer because of <laughs> competition so it's um it's difficult, but I mean, I think this is also, it's ironic, but I think when you look at, you know, the ratings for this, this finals being the best in, uh, since Jordan's last finals since 1998, um, the league, obviously interest in the league is not waning because of this. Um, you know, it, it's more like us diehards who are going to care about the league, no matter what, who seem to be chasing ourselves in circles, arguing mm-hmm. whether this is good for the league. Um, but it is a—it's uh, it, just sort of an interesting time for the league because you know people are—you know—people always complain. You know, people typically find something to complain about. And last year, I think it was a good—I <laughs> mean, last year it was a good—I think it was a good balance, right? Because you had multiple teams that felt like like they were great, great, great teams, and you know, you could argue three teams had great chances to claim to be the best team in the league, and obviously Durant's decision eliminated one of those and made the 73 win team um even more talented so that that kind of threw a wrench in things and i i get why people would view that as as not a positive for the league overall but here we are talking about it right yeah and and it's buzzy and people care about it whether you like it or not you're yeah. kind of falling into the nba's trap um absolutely of, of talking about it on twitter and Obviously, people want to watch it because the ratings were were great for for the for the finals, and you know we'll we'll see what this means sort of moving forward. But I certainly don't. I mean, I've never heard anybody say that the Jordan that the Jordan era Bulls were like too good, right? Did anybody? I mean, no, nobody. I've never heard anybody complain that that Michael Jordan that the '90s basketball '90s NBA was bad because the Bulls won too many titles. You know, I. I no, and and I don't know. I mean, we'll see, right? If if the Warriors do win multiple titles, um, and maybe been people soften on that a little bit, but um, I guess we'll see. Here we are. We we just spent a bunch of time talking about it. So again, <laughs> regardless of how you feel, the NBA keeps winning. All right, let's move to some draft stuff here, Frank. Um, today the Bucks had a workout with Jared Allen, center from Texas. Uh, he was a freshman. 19 year 19 years old 611 75 wingspan and i guess as i'm as i'm thinking about it frank allen was the the first individual workout the bucks have had and i tweeted this out but it's important to say someone doing an individual workout has nothing to do with the team the team does not want to do an individual workout they would love to have every prospect they have come in and compete and go against someone else in that same talent range at the same position that they can compare them against. Anytime you see an individual workout, that is something that the player and agent have said they need for that person to come work out for this team. So just want to make that clear. Cause I think sometimes people think, Oh, the bucks did an individual workout with this person. That must mean they really like them. Well, no, not necessarily. It's probably the agent and player that that want that. So keep that in mind as we go forward because I'd assume in the next week and a half or what have we got, eight days until the draft, in these next eight days, you're going to see a number of workouts and you're probably going to see some individual workouts in there. So keep that in mind. But as I was as I was watching Jared Allen and I guess as I was watching the NBA Finals, which we just discussed last night, there was, let's see, I think there was a five-minute sequence in the ooh, third quarter, maybe. Maybe it's the second quarter. It's at some point in that game where I think the Cavaliers' tallest player was LeBron. 
and the second tallest player was Kyle Korver. And the Warriors had a lineup where Durant was the tallest player, and the second tall. I, I think it might have been when Draymond was out, like Iguodala or something. Like there was, it was a lineup completely devoid of centers, which throughout the finals we saw. But for argument's pur- purpose, it was also a lineup largely devoid of power forward types. Like it, it was total small ball, and I guess the. The thing that I keep struggling with is when I look at mock drafts, and again, everyone has a preference for what mock draft they really like, but in the 17 to 21 range, and maybe even if you want to expand it, the 15 to 25 range, there's a whole mess of centers and power forwards. Like there's there's not point guards in there. There aren't many wings. Like Once you get past Anunoby and... Uh, Maybe John Collins, if you think he can play small forward. Like once you get past those guys, like he's it, a center. I'd, I would say he, John Collins will probably be more of a small ball center. Yeah. So I mean, that just sort of reinforces it. Everybody is everybody's a big guy basically at this point. Like it's all bigs, and I've had a bunch of people. Like I did a, a Twitter poll the other day asking of the four centers that are in the Bucks area, which would be Jared Allen, Ike Anabogu, uh, Justin Patton, and Harry Giles. Like, which one do you like most? And Harry Giles won by a lot. But, like, it again, I've ran a number of polls over time. Like, it was one of my least popular polls. Like, people were not into it at all. And, I <laughs> like, I had put, like, as a preface to it, like, okay, don't tell me not a center. Like, just vote for one of the centers. We'll talk about other players and other positions later. And people just, like, were not into it at all. And I had a bunch of responses that were not a center. And I guess I'm just struggling with, okay, not a center. What? <laughs> Looking at the prospects that are in that area, like, I just don't I don't see it. And I guess, are you feeling any different about any of these center prospects? Like, is there one of them that sticks out to you that you like? Um, because every time I try to talk myself into one of these guys, I just think, mm, okay. Yeah, not really. Um, and, and you know, I, I think we, we talk about it, and it, it's sort of been underlying in a lot of our discussions, the notion of positional scarcity and, and what that means for, um, you know, the draft and, and how you view these things. And it's interesting Talking about uh, drafting for need is always something that that people sort of recoil at, you know, because again, very justifiably, the, the emphasis on take your best player available, you know, draft for draft for talent, trade for need. Um, I think most people sort of are, are willing to say yes, generically that is true, um, but there are obviously a lot of caveats to it, and I think positional scarcity is one of those interesting things where it sort of begins to get in the gray area because. You know, it sort of begins to get into to specific team needs as well, because you know, you just look at the way the league is trending. You don't need two seven foot, two hundred and fifty pound guys on every roster, right? I mean, nope. used to, I mean, some teams have have three of those guys. The Bucks have had multiple huge, you know, two three huge guys seemingly <laughs> yeah. every year. Four guys who can play center at times. You know, last year you had Greg Marathon Maker. Miles Plumley and John Henson on this roster yeah. for much of the season. Um, and that's just not the way the league is trending. And obviously the, what we saw, I think, in the finals was a, a somewhat extreme example of that because Durant and, and LeBron are just such atypical players because Correct. they can, they're, they're strong and long and they can, you know, protect the rim a little bit and, and be defensive fulcrums in ways that, um, that other teams can't. And most importantly, they are incredible offensive players who nobody can guard, right? And yeah. and so you kind of put them out there. And I think I, I do remember. I think at one point somebody, Mike Breen, may have said like, "Oh, there's nobody taller than six seven, and maybe it was six eight because LeBron's six eight. Um, but there's nobody taller than six seven or six eight on the court. I think this is when Durant was out as well. Um, so so yeah, I mean the league is sort of trending in direction. We've groused about the uh, the you know massive number of massively overpaid big men uh out there uh if you want you know Jan Mahimi for 16 million a year if you want Bismack Biombo for 16 17 18 million dollars a year you could probably get him for free <laughs> if you're willing to absorb him um the Bucks have a situation like that with John Henson potentially as well um guy, big guys are just out there and I think when you look at the specific guys that you mentioned I don't know I mean part of it is I just I don't follow the draft closely enough to like just talk myself into any of these guys but 
Um, like Jared Allen, I, I don't know. I, I get kind of a John Henson vibe from him. He's super long, kind of skinny, has some offensive skill, obviously has some defensive upside. Um, but like, I don't know, is, is he like a motor guy? Uh, yeah. Not the vibe I've gotten, you know? And, and so it's just tough because on the one hand, you know, if you can get a guy at 17, who's a, you know, six man energy guy can give you 20 minutes per game eventually. Um, that, that's fine for that, for that spot of the draft, but and you'd have your um, center rotation wrapped up. Okay. Thon, exactly. guy, And you're good. And yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, is that the way you want to go in this draft? And, and it's hard because, as you said, there are so many big guys who seem to be falling into the Bucks' general range. And we've talked about, you know, it's the opposite from a point guard standpoint. Um, you know, the question we've raised is, you know, do you potentially, you know, quote unquote, reach on a guy like Jawan Evans? Um, you know, Derek White's another guy who seems to now be getting some first round buzz, another kind of combo guard. Um, we know that there are five five guards six if you include donovan mitchell um kind of combo or point guards uh, probably going in the lottery and then it's just sort of like there's just a, a you know a lull there in the middle of the draft where the bucks are and that's obviously challenging because damn it that's the position you'd want to draft a, a guard <laughs> a guy who can who can handle it and um and create off the dribble potentially shoot off the dribble and and that's just not really in that spot of the draft again unless they potentially take a guy who you know at least if you if you believe the mock drafts and and sort of the the rankings out there then you know if you reach on a guy who uh who maybe go lower which obviously the bucks not a lot of people not a lot meaning no one had thought maker you know number 10 in last year's draft and they quote-unquote reached and obviously it seems like it's paying off so i mean maybe the bucks don't care right but um but i guess we will uh we'll have to see sort of what they do and but yeah i mean the the names you mentioned i mean harold harry giles and you know great high school pedigree nobody knows if the guy's going to be back to what we thought he was going to be yeah right as a high schooler like he was on a trajectory that was super promising um multiple knee injuries uh couldn't really get on the court at duke with any consistency who knows you know you'd have to you'd have to be working with him in the gym to really understand where he is you'd have to have your doctors looking at him um no indication as yet that the bucks are going to work him out although he is a i believe he is an excel sports guy um, but I don't know. Maybe they also want to. Maybe they want to steer him clear of the Bucks if, with Thon here. I have no idea what the, the thinking might be. Um, Alan talked about him, um, and then you know, like Justin Patton. We, weird, weird backstory, right? I mean, he redshirted. We're talking. We're talking about a guy who late leaves after his freshman season, but he had a redshirt season. Which, I mean, when was the last time a first round pick redshirted for for not injury reasons, and then? came out of the draft after the, the fresh their freshman year and then was a first round pick i mean it's a very strange story because he was kind of out of nowhere um but was pretty productive but didn't really rebound um i don't know if he can shoot he's like a 53 percent free throw shooter he didn't <laughs> get to the line at all like i mean there's just these like huge gaps in these guys sort of skill sets um and it's just kind of hard to make and then and abogu is like interesting probably the most like stereotypical like big guy like just tries to block everything has a great frame, looks like he'll be a good rebounder, super young, likes to dunk. We encourage that. Yep. But does he have any skill? Is he going to develop skill? I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of hard for me to parse these guys. I mean, they're all a little bit different, but uh, I mean, hey, if 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 picking one of these guys means that um, John Henson and or Spencer Haas are gone and we kind of start over at the center position with young guys who, who maybe become better than those guys were, um, I guess I could try to talk myself into that with, with that player and Don, but, um, but yeah, it would be really nice if there was a different position <laughs> that, that, you know, you could get a guy that, that you really liked. But again, um, if you're, if you're, if you're going to be a slave to the best player available, maybe you just end up another big guy. Yeah. I think that's kind of the interesting spot to me is that I, you have to make that, you have to make that decision. Because this year, more than maybe any for the Bucks, like big is probably not a position of need. With the way that the league is trending, with what you saw from Thon in the first year, with John Henson possibly coming back, with Greg Monroe possibly opting in, like big is just not a position you really need. And it, and that's not even adding in the fact that Giannis and Jabari are both for all. I, I mean. They're fours, so you just don't really 
you don't have any minutes to to put to anyone for next year. And then going forward, ideally Thon plays thirty minutes at least tonight. And ideally Giannis is gonna play thirty eight, thirty thirty six, wherever you want to go, thirty five minutes, wherever that's gonna be, like there's just not going to be minutes either now or in the future for bigs. So what even if that's the best player available, what's the point? Like why would you would why would you go after that? And then that's not even added on top how the league is trending. The league isn't trending with guys like that. So um I guess the thing that I would watch with all these guys is just how well did they get up and down the floor? And that's always been I feel like that's been a big John Hammond measuring stick in the past. Like, what's your three-quarter court time or full-court sprint or whatever it's called. Like, whatever that is, I feel like Hammond's really been about that. I know Larry Sanders was, like, off the charts on that one. Um, That was one of the reasons why uh, the Bucks ended up picking him. And I think that's huge. I think seeing what these guys can do laterally, do they have the foot speed to, to kind of guard other to guard another team's guards. Like, can they be a part of a switching lineup and not get played off the floor? Earlier we were talking about the Cavs and the Warriors and how good those two teams are. Well, can the guy you're drafting not get played off the floor by them? Like, that is, to me, that that's essentially the measuring stick. Can I see this player, if you project them out further to not even the best case scenario, like a logical case scenario, like projecting them just slightly better than they should be. Can they play in the finals? And I feel like that's what you should be looking at. And with a number of these bigs, I don't, I don't know if they can. And I guess maybe that's the most concerning part that all those guys are freshmen and you're trying to figure out from what you saw for just one year. And again, they have way more information. They've seen them uh, in AAU games before they got to the NBA. They've seen them at Hoop Summit. They've seen them at U18 uh, games. They've seen them a million different places. So they have way more information. But do you have that belief that that player uh, can stay with other people? Can they switch on to a point guard and survive like we saw Thon do against Kyle Lowry uh, in the Bucks first round playoff series? Can they do those things? And Man, it, it, I don't know. It's just terrifying. But uh, I guess, to me, that's just one of the interesting storylines in the draft. I'm sure we'll talk about a couple more um, as we lead up to the draft. But I think that's going to be it for Lockdown Bucks for today. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks, and we'll talk to you later.